Hello, and welcome to the Major Gifts Fundraiser podcast. I'm Monica Van Deventer. Let me tell you a little bit about the tribe we're building here at Major Gifts Fundraiser. We're working with people like you who want to be among the very best in this field. You want to accomplish great things. You want to challenge yourself. You want to grow, and you are up for going on a journey because you know a journey is what it takes to become the very best version of yourself. You're listening to this podcast because you know that in order to be a great fundraiser, you have to spend time thinking about how you'll be a great fundraiser. You can learn more about our new online training programs at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. And without further ado, here's Clark. Buenos dias, mis amigos. Hey, Clark Van Deventer here. It's me, Clark Van Deventer from Major Gifts Fundraiser. Hope that you are having a great day. Kind of a potpourri episode here today. Uh, Next episode of the podcast, the one that will immediately follow this one. Man, we have a treat for you. Uh, You may have heard me talk before about a series of interviews we did with major donors. So my wife, Monica, and I sat down and did a series of interviews where we sat down in the living rooms or the kitchens or the offices of people we knew people we had close personal relationships with, people who had given five, six, and seven-figure gifts. Uh, We'd worked with all of these people in a fundraising context, like they had given money to organizations I represented. And um, although we met, perhaps in that context, our relationships transcended the work I did with those organizations. We became friends. Uh, And we did these interviews Year, it's been years since we did these interviews, three or four years ago. And we have hours and hours and hours of recordings. We just sat down and recorded these, these very intentional discussions about what they like about organizations, what they didn't like about fundraisers who called on them, what motivated their big gifts. Uh, but Monica and I have gone through, we've grabbed some sound bites, provided some context and commentary, and we're going to release these interviews, these snippets on the podcast over the course of a few episodes. So man, you got to check these out because all this stuff I'm always talking about on this podcast, through these interviews, you don't have to take my word for it, right? You can just listen to the donors say all the stuff I've been saying for years. So that's the next episode of the podcast coming later this week. And we'll probably break it down into, I think it's going to be three episodes. All right. So as I'm recording this, November 7th is the day. And we are a week into Thanksgiving month. Yes. Right. I'm giving it a whole month now, a whole month to reflect on how grateful I am, exercising my gratitude muscles, growing my gratitude muscles, a great way you can do this. Just pick up the phone and start calling your donors and say how thankful you are that they're a part of your life. Um, And man, and and not just with our donors, right, but with our family, reflecting all the things that we have to be thankful for. All these things are exercises to grow our gratitude muscles. Um, Last night, I I was down in my daughter's room. Uh, Years ago, we subscribed to this thing called Mixbook, where you can take your Instagram photos and they'll take your photos and print them and send you a book. We probably have 20 or 30 of these laying around our house. Um, We haven't done it in years, haven't ordered any new books in years, but we have these old ones. 
Uh, by the way, you can follow Major Gifts Fundraiser on Instagram. I've never printed any Major Gifts Fundraiser mixed bucks. Uh, Major Gifts Fundraiser account is kind of new. The handle on Instagram, just at Major Gifts Fundraiser. Uh, by the way, you can follow my personal account too. I'm usually posting pictures of my bikes or skiing or my kids, but you can follow me personally if you'd like as well at Clark Vand. But the Major Guest Fundraiser Instagram, more specifically, some fundraising inspiration. Um, anyway, I was in my daughter's room last night. She had one of these sitting on her desk. It was from 2012. 10 years ago. I was 32 at the time. I'm 42 now. Uh, see that that math there, you know, right? 32 to 42 in 10 years. I'm thumbing through these books. My kids are little. My wife is pregnant. Our youngest will turn 10 in the spring. And I'm like, man, I wish I were 32 again. I want those years back, right? Because those were fun years. Um. Uh, and by the way, no cats in the cradle confession here. I wouldn't do anything different. I, I would do it all over again, just like I did it before. I just want to do it again. Um, so I posted on my, my personal Facebook and Instagram a few weeks ago. Um, I posted a photo of a journal I'm working through. So maybe this will encourage you. Maybe it'll challenge you. Uh, I'm a lifelong journaler. And earlier this year, I decided to take a break. I just felt like my journaling was flat. Like, am I really getting up early in the morning to just recount what I did yesterday and what I'm going to do today? <laughs> and so I took a break. But uh, I don't know, weeks back, months back, um, my wife was encouraging me to get back to journaling. Uh, maybe she sensed that I needed it. Maybe I was talking too much and she needed me to spend more words like in a journal instead of bending her ear as much. I don't know. Um, but I decided to get back into journaling with one of these these journals that, that gives you prompts. And um, one of the prompts got me to talk about my values. Uh, and the question was, what do I value and what do I spend my time on? Where do I spend my time? And going through this, at writing exercise, it was so awesome because I saw that my life was a reflection of my values. It was perfectly lined up. And I thought about my days and I, I listed six values in particular. And um, it was just like, how much time do I spend on any given day not aligned with one of those values? This was just the question I was asking myself. I'm looking at these these six values that I've listed. And I'm like, when do I ever spend time doing not one of these six things? And the answer is almost none. Really? I mean, I'm not bragging. I'm saying, wow, I'm so thankful. So I have sometimes wished that I would have accomplished more in my career, but would I trade a Senate seat for the family life that our family enjoys? I may sometimes wish that I could have gone on more runs or had more epic adventures, but man, I've, I've gone like follow my personal Instagram. I've gone on some epic runs. I've had some epic adventures in my life. I don't think I'd trade the good work I have done in my career for more runs or more adventures. Right. And so when I look at this, when I really take it all into consideration, 
there's a sense of peace, right? Like if I can only find five minutes a day that I'm spending time doing things that don't align with the six things I say I value most, like, man, I can relax. I'm living in harmony with my values. So, all right, um, does this bring you peace, right? Or are you challenged? Right, that was the question I asked at the beginning, right, of this. Like, maybe maybe this, maybe me sharing this, maybe it will give you a sense of peace. And you're sitting there going like, yeah, I feel great. My life reflects my values. Maybe you're challenged. I don't know. Um, when I posted this, I got almost no comments. Now, I, it's not like I get tons of comments on my social media feeds, but typically when I post things like this, I'll get more comments than I got on this post. It was like crickets on this post. And my wife said she thought it just hit too close to home for some people, that most people couldn't say that their life is a true reflection of their values. Um, I don't know. So where are you at? Um, is your life a reflection of your values? Are you living in harmony with your values? And if you are, like that alone, here we go, back to gratitude, that alone should give you something to be grateful for. If you go to work every day for an organization you are passionate about, you should feel gratitude. No matter how difficult a given day may be, no matter how annoying a, a relationship at work may be, no matter how annoying your boss may be, right? If you go to work every day and you're working for a cause that you are passionate about, you should feel gratitude because most people don't get to do that. They go to work and they clean teeth. I went to the dentist this morning, my hygienist. She may enjoy her work. She may be thankful for her job, but I doubt she feels the same passion for dental hygiene that you feel for the cause that you are working to promote. Right? So like, you should feel gratitude. And I feel gratitude, right, for the past 10 years, grateful to have such great kids now who are becoming just like real and genuine friends. Thankful that I have kids who are interested in me speaking into their lives, right? That they embrace me as a life coach as they chart their own course. What a privilege. And I'm thankful for the past 10 years. I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful, thankful as I look forward to the next 10 years. Um, and as I talk about how awesome my life is, my life is so awesome, right? Lots of problems, lots of things that aren't as I wish, but as I talk about how awesome my life is, you may be going, Clark, that, that's nice because my life sucks right now. My life has sucked before too. Uh, I've been through some stuff. Yes, I have. And man, if you need someone to commiserate with, I can commiserate with you. If you need a shoulder to cry on, you can cry on my shoulder. I may even shed a tear too. Right, But then we have to move on. Uh, William James right? William James, who taught the very first psychology class ever offered in a, a United States called United States University setting, which is just crazy to think, since everyone takes psychology now. Human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes. Yes, that may be a little like pull up your bootstrap, pull yourself up by your bootstraps thinking, but we could do worse. All right. Um, as you know, if you have been listening to the podcast, I was at a conference last week 
Um, and the conference just gets the creative juices flowing. Now, the organizers of this conference, they pulled together a group of speakers who will all operate within a fundraising philosophy where there's a lot of congruence. But there were differences, times I would have taken issue with something or wanted to say, yeah, but. Uh, for the most part, we were on the same page, though. But as different speakers were talking, I, I did take some notes, things I, I not necessarily the things I disagreed with. Um, I was taking notes on things that I emphatically agreed with. And at one point in the conference, as we were coming back from a break, I made note of some of those things because those things are really worth noting, right? Like me and this other fundraising consultant may disagree on this or that, but like what are the things that we emphatically agree on? Because that would mean something. And after one speaker finished his talk, when there was time for Q&A, I said like, I don't have a question, but there were a few things you said. And as you were saying them, I was thinking to myself, like, this is what I'm thinking, literally. Like, I hope everyone else is hearing this. Like, do they hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? Do people realize what they are hearing? Because this is good. And rather than asking a question, I just brought the speaker's own words back to his attention and asked him to elaborate. Um, any, anyway, uh, one of the things that one speaker said, um, he just, it was this line, spend time with individuals, that's where the money is. All right, maybe you're working on grants or you're working on corporate giving, and maybe you're even doing well in this area, and if you are, good for you. But the reality is the vast majority of charitable dollars given in the United States every year, given by individuals, the numbers, many years running, are about the same. And these aren't exact numbers. I'm pulling them out of my head. But pretty much, you can go back many, 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 many years, and it's going to be something like this, like 85% of the money given in the United States, given by individuals, about 10% by foundations, and about 5% given by corporations. Corporate money gets a lot of fanfare, and that's typically because when a corporation gives money, they specifically want fanfare. The 10% given by foundations, that's actually deceivingly high. A big chunk of that slice given by foundations is money controlled by individuals who are using a foundation as a vehicle for their giving. Could be a family foundation, could be a donor-advised fund. It shows up as foundation giving, but it's actually individual giving. In truth, about 90% of charitable giving in the United States is done by individuals. So spend time with individuals because that's where the money is. And you should be talking with individuals. All right, this was another big theme. You should be talking with individuals about their estate planning, about including your organization in their will or trust. Um, you can do the other stuff. You can do charitable gift annuities, all that stuff. But you really ought to be talking with people about the simple step of including your organization in their will or trust. Um, uh, okay, you don't know how to get started in estate planning. It's super easy. The barrier to entry, virtually non-existent. 
Just start talking about it. Make it a throwaway question you ask when you're meeting with people. Right? By the way, have you included any organizations in your estate plans? Right? Talk about that. Hey, we'd be honored if you'd ever consider including us. Uh, you can also start by simply adding two check boxes on standard reply forms, right? You're, you're sending out your annual appeal or whatever. Just add these two boxes. One that says, I have included XYZ Foundation in my state plans. Or another that says, I am interested in information about including XYZ Foundation in my state plans. Right? But just the fact that you're suggesting this, that you're giving up real estate on your reply form for this, like suggest to the donor, others must be doing this. Others must view this organization of worthy of this consideration. Maybe I ought to be considering it. Um, I could do a whole podcast just on this topic. All right. If you need help in this area or have specific questions, email me, clark at majorgiftsfundraiser.com. Um, What's the definition of a major gift? This was another topic that came up. For years, I heard my mentor, the late, great Gerald Panis, say five to 25 times the size of the annual gift. Um, so if someone is giving $5,000 a year, right, for a major gift, right, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that comes about every three to five years, <laughs> um, a donor who gives $5,000 a year may consider a $25,000 gift, all right? Um, 25 times would be $125,000. Um, that may feel like an odd amount, so I may, I may push to 100,000, right? That'd be 20 times. But I, I've heard this for years, five to 25 times the size of the annual gift. My friend Terry Monday at this conference called a major gift two to 10 times the size of the annual gift. So to use the $5,000 figure, he's saying 10,000 to 50,000. So I've always been very comfortable, maybe very comfortable because I've, I've aired the other direction. Again, whole other podcast, all right? I've been very comfortable gradually moving my donors up, right, for gradual increased buy-in. So yeah, like I think if someone is giving $5,000 a year and I ask them to jump to 10,000, like I like that. All right. That's, that's good. Good job. Like if, if you are working in my development office and you take a donor who's been giving 5,000 a year and they move to 10, I'm like, good job. And I'm never worried that we left money on the table. I hate when consultants or or fundraisers talk about, we didn't ask for enough, we left money on the table. Like that just seems so short-sighted to me. We're in long-term relationship. We want people to have a good giving experience. And sometimes it's right to move from five to 10, even if I could have moved from five to 25. Um, so I, I like that Terry was willing to go down to as little as two times the size of the annual gift. I, I've been, and there's a case for being more aggressive, right? There's times that I've I've asked for 25 times the size of the annual gift, but I think it's good to, to say, no, we're willing to say two times. Uh, that is quite conservative, all right? Um, I will typically try to move people from, let's say, 2,500 to 10,000. 
or 10,000 to 25,000. Um, so two times the annual gift, quite conservative, but overall, I like the approach. Um, by the way, again, I could, I could do a whole podcast episode on this topic. If you need help or you feel like you have a hard time knowing the right amount to ask for, just email me, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. Um, one speaker had a bullet point on their slides that they did not elaborate on. The bullet point was intentional small talk. And I'm really into this. No wasted lines in donor meetings. Every word that comes out of your mouth has a purpose. Every story you tell has a purpose, right? So the donor asks, when are you flying home? You don't say I'm flying home on Tuesday. You say I'm flying home on Tuesday because I am working with a donor in Florida who is putting our organization in their charitable remainder trust. And I have some information I need to get to the to their attorney by the end of the week. So you are positioning yourself as the kind of person who works with people so that those people can include your organization in their will. All right, you're looking at pictures and certificates on the wall. What, what matters to the donor, right? The stuff they have hanging on their wall matters to them. Who are the people in those pictures? And you're asking questions about the people in those pictures, trying to get the donor's story. And you're looking for ways to connect with the donor, common areas of interest that help you establish a personal connection, right? No wasted lines, intentional small talk. Uh, one speaker, as he described his donor meetings, his meetings had a sense of purpose. I said during the Q&A, I think a lot of fundraisers shoot themselves in the foot, right? The first meeting is all about, I want to thank you personally and give you an update on all that your support is helping us accomplish. Well, I mean, that's great for a first meeting, right? But donors don't have much interest in a second meeting if all you're doing is going around and delivering personal thanks and updates. All right, this presenter, as he described his meetings, his meetings had a sense of purpose. And it was a series of micro commitments, um, which made me think about this book. Years ago, I read this book called Objections. Author is Jeb Blount. Uh, one of the things I loved about that book is that it de-glorified the ask, this big dramatic ask. And if, if you've ever seen me present on making an ask, like there's drama around my ask, all right? But this book de-glorified the ask and it built up the micro commitments that led to the yes, all right? In this case, the big gift. So micro-commitments could be an agreement to meet again, to, an att to attend an event, to visit campus, to host a reception, to introduce you to someone else who they think would be interested in being involved in this project, right? Could be as simple as an agreement to listen to a podcast episode with one of your, one of your faculty members. Micro-commitments. All right. Every time you meet, trying to get these micro, these mini commitments that give all of your meetings a sense of purpose. Of course, I'm always talking about um, how strategic questions, right? 
get, asking strategic questions can give your meetings a sense of purpose. Um, my strategic questions are the number one most requested resource from this podcast, and you should get them and you should ask them. And asking them will elevate the quality of your meetings and you will have an easier time getting second and third meetings. Because when you ask strategic questions, you really become like a life coach to your donors. You're like a therapist. And people love meeting with people who help them sort out their own lives. I love meeting with people who help me hone my thinking. And when you're asking your donors these strategic questions, what you're really helping them do is hone their thinking. But I need to also continually remind myself of this principle from Jeb Blount, right? Micro commitments, the great way to get increased buy-in from the donors I am meeting with and to give my meetings a sense of purpose. Um, again, that book recommendation, Objections, right? The book is Objections, The Art and Science of Getting Past No. Author is Jeb Blount. Uh, he's the guy behind, you may have heard of Sales Gravy, you may have heard of Sales Gravy. Uh, they do training in the area of sales. Um, by the way, I have read so many sales books in my life. I feel like if I really wanted to devote myself to it, I could, I could just take the top 100 sales books ever written and just rewrite them for fundraisers. Uh, it'd be a fun, interesting project to work on. Or... Or I, I could just do this, take the books that are being published right now, the ones that are really hot right now, right? The ones you always see on the airport bookshelves, right? The ones that are coming out right now, work with the authors to publish the fundraisers edition. I have endless ideas, but not endless time. So this is the problem. Although, all right, that, that is something I am consciously working on these days, trying to take more of an abundance mindset in regards to my time, to live uh, not with a scarcity or poverty mindset in regards to my time, but to have an abundance mindset in regards to my time. Like, what does that look like? Um, but that is a topic for another day. Remember... Up next on the podcast, we're going to be sharing with you excerpts and insights from our series of interviews with major donors. Don't miss it. They're awesome. They are pure gold. Like, seriously. Uh, and I can say that because it's not, it's not me. It's them. It's them. Uh, hey, as always, if there's anything I can help you with, shoot me an email. Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. That's Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. We'd love to get you involved in, in some of our projects, get you enrolled in one of our online programs. Um, again, I, as I always say, can't take the steps for you, but I can take them with you. So, um, yeah, shoot me an email, Clark at MajorGiftsFundraiser.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. All right, Monica here again. If you like what you heard on this podcast, you'll love our online training programs. You can complete our online training programs at your own pace and you can watch or listen to them from any device. And unlike that last conference you attended, 
The challenge questions and action steps that come with each of our modules will give you concrete things you can do today to level up as a fundraiser. You'll raise more money than ever before by developing deeper donor relationships than you ever thought possible. So head over to majorguestfundraiser.com to buy now. Thanks for listening.